Hello, everyone, and welcome to Playwright, a podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play. My name is Ryan Heyman. You can call me H. And I'm Ryan Quintel. You can call me Q. So I uh, went out. It's my my partner's birthday today. And so we went out for a couple's massage at a local spa. Actually, (laughs) the Great Northern Hotel from Twin Peaks. No kidding. Yeah, they have a spa there. So, you know, that's amazing. So did you have some damn fine coffee? Yeah, nothing, nothing supernatural happened. Uh, you know, that was a, that was a little bit of a letdown, but um, I, I, I'd never had a massage before. And so it was very strange because I'm a very like really? relaxed person anyways. I don't yeah. feel like I carry a lot of stress and tension with me throughout my life. <laughs> and so I, I felt kind of bad, like partway through, I'm just like, this guy's, you know, he's, he's doing a good job, but he's, he's probably not finding anything that really needs fixing. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, Welcome to the uh, the secret world of benefits of relationship birthdays, especially <laughs> over a period of time where like, it's her birthday, you're getting a massage, like, well done there, first of all. I'm still paying for it, though. <laughs> okay, well, that's fair, that's fair. Um, but it's nice, you know, treat yourself every once in a while. But you didn't have any knots or anything? Not that I could tell. I feel pretty much the same coming out of it as I did going into it. <laughs> so, okay, so this might be, this could also be the massage novice, right? I When I come out of a massage, I want... Like, I always ask for the deepest tissue possible. Mm. You know, if I'm not walking out, like, feeling like I'm going to be bruised the next day, I I feel like I didn't get my money's worth, which maybe says something weird about me. But but yeah, so I have this one spot in my uh, left shoulder blade that Mm. literally... Um, I had a massage therapist almost like suplexing me, just her elbow was right Mm. in my shoulder trying to work it out. And after like 20 minutes or something, you could start to feel it give, but I'm not surprised you, you were all your tone. Your speaking tone is always very (laughs) relaxing. It's pretty representative of my, like my entire being. Yeah. I mean, wow, this could be. You're your own self-help book. Like, let's all live a little <laughs> bit more like age. I don't know if that's uh, if that's advice I really want to give people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Do as we pitch, not as we do. And speaking of which, let's uh, let's go. And I was I was thinking if we, if we can get like a double, like a two lines of rhymes in there, we almost we almost had it. It would have been kind of a nice transition on uh, on this show. I'm going to be going first. And, uh, as I wrote this down, I feel like this is something we've pitched before, but let's, uh, let's see how it goes. Basically, one of the things that I would really like to see is a game about, about decoding a language that you don't know and having to work with incomplete information. Okay. And so I was thinking like maybe some sort of a, like alien trying to blend into humans or a game about like decoding enemy radio transmissions like i just want a a made-up language that you can use context to decode certain words and then as you decode those words it would kind of fill in every time those words come in with the uh with the english or whatever language you're playing it within um, as you see them again in the future and it's kind of almost like a linguistic picross where you you use the things you've already solved to assist you in, uh, you know, kind of contextually putting meaning behind some of the other nonsense words, you know. And then, of course, uh, the, on the flip side, if you mess 
something up early, then that could potentially get you into trouble down the line. So uh, let's uh, let's decode some languages, come up with a way to turn it into a game. Go ahead and start the clock now. One of the things I like about this is I have probably like, I don't know, at this point, 15% of the people on the planet uh, attempted and, and given up on Duolingo <laughs> a couple of times, I think, at this point. One of the things I think is interesting about the way they teach something like Spanish in Duolingo by like slowly introducing you and really making it kind of a video game, right? Where they're, they're mm-hmm. like, hey, this means Apple. What do you think this thing? And then they kind of pluralize it and you kind of get it from the sentence. They're like, well, that's apples, mm. you know? And I think that it, it, this would be kind of cool to like see if you could just teach someone a language that straight up does not exist. I, I guess in that case, would it, how does it, uh, how does it remind you of the meaning of words you already know? Does it subtitle them or does it include little pictographs? Like if you already learned a word, does it just keep on presenting it in Spanish? One of the things they do is they kind of, once you establish that you know a word, they will kind of throw something at you with like new words around it that you haven't learned yet. Right. So they'll tell you Mm. like, this is apples. And then the next sentence will be, I have apples. And then they'll ask you to translate something that ends up being my sister ate an apple, but you never learned to the words, my sister and the word eight, but because of the sort of options they give you for words you're supposed to sort of like tap the words in order because the options that they give you for words your sort of own natural language structure of like how you would say a phrase in english you're like okay i can make the sentence here my sister ate an apple um and therefore they're kind of like in that act showing you oh this is the word Hmm. for sister and then in the next exercise they're going to be asking you questions about the word sister rather than the word apple. And they're kind of like bridging the language gap like that. Maybe that's not, I don't know, maybe if that doesn't apply to this thing. No, I think it's interesting. So you could use, yeah, again, some of these context clues. What if there was a way of, I'd like there to be not necessarily tests, but situations where maybe right and wrong answer isn't, maybe if this was kind of like a comedy type game, as you're kind of fumbling about with the language, you're put into situations where you have to like go on a date or something like that. And, uh, and if you say the wrong thing, then obviously the person would react in interesting ways. I don't know. Maybe that's a, maybe that's a bit ambitious for what we're building. I like the idea of maybe, cause there's something about this that feels like the witness to me in it, that like, if you stack it right and you put the right things in order, then you'll slowly build up this knowledge base of what the previous things mean. So maybe there's a way to do this with like icons or symbols or something. So uh, let's decide upon a premise. What do we want? uh, Where do we want to set this? What do we want the character's relationship to be with this place that he or she is uh, trying to ingratiate into? It makes me think a little bit about No Man's Sky and mm-hmm. the sort of approaching those pillars to learn these individual words. Oh, yeah, there was a, a system like that in there. Yeah. So maybe maybe there's something to, you know, I know there's so many sort of astronaut games happening uh, lately, but 
maybe there's something to crashing on a planet and like all of your stuff is busted, including your universal translator. And Mm -hmm. really the journey is to like learn the language of the people so that you can go on your quests and figure out how to actually repair your ship with, with their technology. I feel like it's also worth pointing out. There's a game that might be extremely uh, useful in, in studying this. And I wish I had spent more time with it so far because it, uh, it might actually be pretty close to what we're describing. There's a game called heaven's vault, which is um, done Mm. by the same team who created 80 days. And you play a, um, like a linguistic uh, anthropologist who goes to these ruins of places and and um, and is basically trying to learn a language of a people that no longer exist. Uh, beyond that, I, I can't really say that much, and I probably should have done my homework before coming here because it is installed on my computer and ready to go. I played the first half hour or so, but um, yeah, it might be it might be pretty close to what we're working on. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I'm trying to think of like because the the No Man's Sky system feels too random for me to be like mm-hmm. if the if the game is actually learning the technology. No Man's Sky is like you learned the word for but and you're like okay and that's b u t you okay crass you crass playwright listener how dare you <laughs> could be useful yeah right it is right but only like in conjunction of knowing at least the word that's gonna come before or after mm. um so i i think it would be interesting to try and have something where you can yourself i don't know if you're drawing it or what but you yourself can kind of discover new parts of the language either like by your own expression or your own exploration well you know i kind of like if you know like in some of these games like in uh, tomb raider when you learn bits of a language is just kind of like your character levels up and understands more of the language. Like there's no real puzzle there beyond just finding the collectibles that teach you the language. If you had to make guesses yourself as to what some of the language means, maybe you could save snapshots and it color codes. Like maybe you could click on any word and then it will like automatically show you every other time you've seen that word and all the snapshots of the of the um texts that you've seen so far see all the times that it's come up and then you can kind of like you can make a guess maybe there's um maybe there's certain words that are pretty pretty safe uh you know the the and and stuff like that and then some you can uh some that are kind of like those gimmies, like the corner pieces in a puzzle, the, you know, if somebody is pointing in an airplane, you can, you could be pretty safe to assume that the word they're saying is airplane or something like that. And then you can kind of from there fill out uh, like a game of Minesweeper, like the, the words around it. And then the ones that are around those, and you can kind of cross reference between the, the different photographs of, uh, of writings that you've seen in the past. Yeah. And I think maybe like a linguist, one of the things you could do here is like, say you, your computer or whatever holds a transcript of everything anyone's ever said of you. What you can do is highlight words and almost do like a find and replace where you're like, anytime Mm. this word shows up, like show me this word instead. And maybe that's a limited list. So you control it a little bit more or you let the person freeform type. Yeah. Now you get into a situation where 
you actually like can see everything that was said to you in context. And you're like, Oh, if that person was talking about, if they were talking about an engine in this scenario, like I suddenly know what to do to like get them their thing. Uh, and so you can kind of go back and follow up with people and you're like, this is, this is that word, you know, and, and make connections. And actually, I think that would be really interesting. Something that I don't feel like I've ever felt in a game. It's always like language is always treated like an unlockable in a game. Um, that takes us to about time. Let's go ahead and call that one there and let's give it a name. We, we can call it Linguistonauts. Linguistonauts. Okay, I'm down. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Linguistonauts. That's uh, coming to your PC and Mac soon. What's the Knots game that everybody loves? The, the, the one oh, with Psychonauts. Dirt? Not Psychonauts, but isn't there Scribblenauts? Oh, Scribblenauts. Yeah. Uh, I love it. So now we have Psychonauts, Scribblenauts, and Linguistonauts. <laughs> Three more and we'll have the whole set. <laughs> Q, what are you pitching today? If I did my math correctly, this is coming out the day after Christmas. Yes? Oh, wait. So last week actually was our Christmas episode. Was it last week that we joked around about that? Yeah, it was. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, this is happening to you potentially on December 26th. You're, you've just opened up all your gifts. You're sorting through all your new stuff. Uh, <laughs> boxing I, day. Yeah, it's Boxing Day. I want to give you an idea of something that maybe you can use uh, if you're getting together with friends or family over the next couple of days. But if you already missed it, it's for next Christmas. So, uh, sorry. I want to do some sort of twist here. And I'm going to need your help big time on it. But, like, something like a secret Santa for video games and not just you buy a video game for someone, but like every you, you get together a group of friends. Hopefully you all have uh, similarly proficient video game skills. Maybe you choose a game that you feel like everyone could play like Tetris or Pac-Man, something people really enjoy. And everyone draws a name. You write down all the, the friends names, put it in a hat, draw a name and the friend's name that you get you the high score that you get in the video game is going to be donated to your secret santa to add to their points so you are getting a mystery donor's amount of points and you are donating your points to somebody else's run in some particular video game and then of course you all go around taking turns at this game let's you know whatever it could be a roguelike spelunky there's lots of games we could do this with and at the end of your run your achievements whatever milestones the group sets get donated to your partner your secret partner and you are the secret santa points donator but i'm sure there's more we can do with it it's just kind of a proto idea so let's let's try that okay starting the clock there so this is like a it's kind of like a meta game thing that plays between games that already exist is that correct yeah so this is like you and i are gonna play tetris and well obviously there would be a third person uh you i and leon are all gonna play tetris mm -hmm. and uh i draw your name you draw Leon's name, Leon draws my name, and we all play, and whatever my high score was gets added to yours, and yours gets added to Leon's, and so on and so forth. So if we do get each other, we will have the same score, which is kind of in interesting. 
Is the intention to do poorly when you're giving your points to whoever's winning so that they don't pull further ahead into the lead? <laughs> no, that's so I think that wouldn't first of all, H shame on you. That would not be in <laughs> Christmas spirit, would it? No, I think it is an honest game where everybody is trying to do a good job and then mm. the amount of uh points that you're getting as bonus from somebody else, it does depend on that person's performance so you you are kind of a bad secret santa if you don't get a good score but everyone's trying to get the best score possible because your score is the base right so even the very best person at video games if they've got kind of you know a weaker partner uh, those scores are put together so there's there's some balancing there you could uh so you can assist people in um in and playing games of, of various kinds is the the ends that you're working towards them doing well, or are you being rewarded for helping the right people at the right times? So um, you could do something where like the highest score like gets some special prize that everybody goes in on or something. But the idea would be, let's go very simple. Let's say we're playing Dead Cells. I get to, um, you know, the fourth location. Uh and you get to the third location. Well, I'm your secret Santa and you get my four points as well. So your total is seven and that, you know, might put you at the top of the leader charts to get this, to get this Christmas prize. So, uh, this, this kind of puts me in the mind of, uh, death stranding, which I know is a point Ah. that, that you like to, it's all about kind of like helping people, assisting people, but that one is a little bit more, um, random in a way, kind of like Dark Souls, where it it you're playing on the same server as a certain number of people, and you can leave behind uh, little bridges and ladders and stuff like that to assist other people in their uh, ostensibly single player journeys. So, are you um, are you picturing this being something that is still kind of anonymous, or are you intending it to be among friends, all helping people that they know out? I think it would be fun to do it amongst friends, but maybe there's a way to virtualize it. What do you think? Yeah, potentially. I mean, it really comes down to what is the experience that you want people to have? Do you want it to kind of grow friends group closer together or do you want it to be, do you want it to just, is there like a experiential thing about just helping anybody that that could go, uh, that could be useful? I like the idea of maybe this is a good way to bring this this happens a lot in games like backyard games like cornhole and horseshoes and and pool even where or even in bowling where like sometimes people will pair up uh, specifically because one of them is far more expert and the other one's far more novice. So like the expert is like, uh, I'm just having fun here, like just trying to play a game. Uh, and then the the novice is they don't really care about it. They wouldn't be doing it anyway. So maybe this is more of a social game to um, make your your aunt or uncle or or mom or dad or one of your cousins, you know, even a sibling, feel good about playing video games. Oh, it's all right. You know, you okay? You died on the first level. I'm gonna have to get to level mm. six to be at the top. And and maybe it's more of a conscious pairing between friends. The kind of like uh, when people go climbing together and they're tied together by that rope and. As one of them falls, the other can potentially catch them, but only if they themselves have a good enough footing. Now we are pitching a co-op climb sequel uh, in VR, which is also very good. (laughs) Oh, oh, yes. Gosh, that would be interesting. (laughs) 
I mean, this is something different entirely. <laughs> yeah, do, yeah. Do we feel we'll like save, we should at least that try in to... the back pocket? <laughs> All right. So, what kind of system would this meta game be tied to? Would this be an achievements type of thing, or, or how would you gain the resources that you need to help somebody else? That's interesting. I mean, so skill-based matchmaking is always kind of asked for in competitive video games and and a lot of competitive video games have it. What if a competitive video game, say like a competitive fighting game, specifically had a mode called like Sherpa or it was, you know, it's called like, I don't know if it's called double something, whatever. I don't know a good term for like pairing an expert and a novice Mm. together, master and apprentice mode, right? Where one person is specifically low in the skill um, sort of ladder and another person is specifically high, but it's all about putting these people together. And normally like when you have disparity in a competitive game where people are randomly paired up, it's really upsetting, right? Cause you're like, I'm really good. <laughs> this person's really not uh, what a bummer, but a mm-hmm. mode where someone is specifically signing up, to do that and someone saying, okay, I know I'm very high in the skill ladder. Maybe it, you know, it doesn't affect your ranking or whatever, um, to play this mode and to actually be paired specifically with a lower skilled player to kind of teach them to get better or so that you both just have a little silly fun, you know, it's kind of like journey then how you can appear in somebody's game and then those who, yeah, have um, gotten all of the collectibles within the game, have a white robe. And whenever you see one of those, it's like, there's two things. It's like one, Oh, I didn't know this, this. person. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this person is like, you know, they're kind of like a sage, you know, they are, uh, they've, they obviously know all the secrets, but then on the other side, it's like, you know, what are they doing playing the game? Like there's nothing more that they can gain. The only thing that they're here doing is helping somebody else, which is really uh, kind of affirming as well. It makes you feel good. Yeah, that's really cool. And then the idea of like knowing, like hopefully the mode won't just be one team's expert beating up on the other team's novice and then vice versa until it's just both experts left facing off against each other. But maybe in the case of a fighting game, that's still great because it ends with the two novices kind of, you know, on the side of the ring, essentially watching two very high level people compete on their behalf. So you're both rooting for someone like truly rooting for someone. Uh, and also they are, they're getting the competition that they would want anyway, but with the, the added benefit of like teaching someone else and, and really just, you know, having a little fun. Yeah. This, um, this reminds me at Xbox, uh, one of the recent, uh, just kind of fun community things that we did was uh, um, specifically with the uh, Latin American community. I wasn't uh, directly involved in this other than a few approvals because Game Pass was involved, but um, they did a like a competition where two um, two gamers were paired with their uh, their mothers who um, the mothers were the ones who had to play three different games i think it was like guacamole and rocket league and you know something else and so the the gamers that actually knew <laughs> what was going on just had to like kind of sit on the side and like tell them what to do and assist them as they competed against one another which is kind of a fun dynamic to have as well as long as people don't get frustrated yeah uh, anyways we're out of time 
Uh, let's put a cap on that one and come up with a name. I'm sure something like Master and Apprentice is already taken. The The original thought was like coming in with doing this in the name of like the holiday spirit and like, what do you, is this like partner mode? Is What is this? Oh, is this mistletoe mode? <laughs> I guess it's festive. It is festive. It's like trying to get into like the holiday cheer or the, what are we filled with? Jolliness? Because as we all know, when you're under the mistletoe, you have to instruct other people to do things that they might not <laughs> want to do. And they're obligated to comply. <laughs> I'll have you know, uh, so for listeners, uh, in episode 129 and 130, I've been trying this experiment where I'm including transcripts of the episode, and I'm just thinking, you know, there's so much context lost when you just see, like, <laughs> when you read that in text, H, you're really going to be like, oh, that does not look as good <laughs> as it sounded in the moment. Uh, well, let's... Uh... Let's go ahead and call it mistletoe mode, and yeah, and and call that our our Christmas. People are, are giving kisses on the cheek, holiday kisses on the cheek for platonic <laughs> friends. Okay. <laughs> I need a, I need a listener pitch. That's what I need. All get right, let's get this. into our community. This was emailed to us by Matt Taylor, who says H and Q. I'm back again, fourth, maybe fifth time, to give you some new suggestions. I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I want to put the two of you to work. I want to put the two of you out of work, rather. Oh. I want the everyday common man, person, to be able to create games just like you two do every week. So my suggestion this week is for you two to create the ultimate game creator game. We have RPG Maker, Fighting Game Maker, and even things like Dreams for PlayStation 4. But I want the two of you to brainstorm what the next game maker platform will be. Will it be VR based? Will it be super easy, super complex? Good luck. All right then. Uh, this is uh, more of creating a framework. So what uh, what can we do to add to this this game maker space? Let's go ahead and start the clock. So probably about two ish years ago now, maybe three years ago, uh, I was working at a place that we. We were lucky enough to be a small group and take a tour of uh, one of Autodesk's uh, San Francisco sort of research labs. Mm. One of the things they had at this research lab was a drone that was built by a computer. And what they did is they they basically said that the future of design, which this is always like makes any person who's a designer's ears perk up, but they said the future of design is a lot more like what we see in Star Trek, right? Which mm -hmm. is humans are going to give a computer a set of requirements. They are going to say, uh, and in this case for the drone, they were like, it has to have two engines, it has to have four copters of this size, and it has to be able to land and hover uh, in a stationary way. Then the computer took all that and it decided to use the the same pattern that mold grows in to grow mm. the skeleton of the vehicle. And the whole thing, I, and I'll, I will try to include a photo in this uh, episode post, but the whole thing looked like this weird, strange alien thing, a structure that probably the human mind would not go to as a first resort, but it looked like, I don't know, a tree or something, but it mm. was indeed 
uh, a drone and it used like 80% less material than like if it had been built with a traditional drone body. So that that's all to say, I, I just went on very long. That's all to say that I think like for me, that means the next generation game creation thing more than like dreams, which is very like, okay, create the character, create the world or whatever is a little bit more like even what Matt's doing here, right? Which is saying, I want to have a 20 player game and like, okay, <laughs> then the engine is going to go and like, all right, what do I have to, I'm going to just do everything possible to make sure that this can do 20 people. Yeah. So, um, one of the things that I've been thinking about lately, there's a, there's been a, a game going around. It's just free, uh, made on one of Google's tools called AI dungeon two. Have you seen this at all? Q? No. So no. this is uh, something that somebody created and it is a text adventure game, but it is, I, I guess, at least in the way that they describe it being spontaneously written by an artificial intelligence. So you wow. could, you could literally type anything into it and it would find a way to work that into the story that's being created. And so, you know, you can, uh, you can, uh, ride your horse into town and then you can, uh, you can type in kiss the horse and then there will be like a short little scene and it will, it'll, uh, you know, ride out about how you kind of, you know, tenderly brush the horse's hair to one side and give it a soft kiss on the mouth, you know, that kind of, like, you know, I don't know how much of this is based on prefab um, prefab stuff that has been written and fed into the AI. I don't know if it's pulling from a number of sources to generate the linguistic functions or whatever, but it it is essentially, I mean, the promise of it is that it's essentially an endless game with endless possibilities. And so I've always, I've always wondered if a game, and I know that this would be rather CPU intensive, and so maybe it's not something that we can do on current hardware, but if a game could be structured in such a way, like a Grand Theft Auto type game, where every person that lives within that city has wants and desires and a story essentially of their own, all being kind of generated by the computer just based on a few simple inputs that somebody could right into it. You know, you could say that they, um, you can fill out a simple personality matrix, kind of like you're creating Sims. You can choose things like their occupation, their socioeconomic status, their, what part of the city they live in, and then just kind of let the computer extrapolate and fill in the rest and give each person a story, you know, then potentially like you could live in so much more of a, a rich world with people actually going off and doing things for a reason Instead of just, you know, walking around in circles and, and driving around on kind of predictable paths. And, and and then potentially, if your character dies, you could just be, you know, hot swapped into another human being that is going about their own story in their own way. Yeah, I think that's interesting. So you kind of have a world filled with people. I think also the the thing here that is like the central problem that... We don't really face it because we're we're kind of designing these games that we do every week based on no oh, just you know ideas or what we think is interesting for the the topic at hand and we come in with ideas but what's true is that like every gamer loves a different specific cocktail of stuff and yeah there's overlap mm -hmm. in those areas but there's not really a constant and like even there's not a constant in my own taste day in and day out, right? There's yeah. like, 
Sometimes I want a first person shooter. I want like an arcadey action game. Other times I'm like, I think I want to play something slower or more plotting or something solitary like Astroneer. So imagine maybe not a game creator, but a game generator that like the experience is you sit down on your couch, turn on your Xbox, your PlayStation, whatever. And it's like, what do you want to play today? Right. And it just asks you, this is like music services do this, right? Um, a series mm-hmm. of questions. They're like, what kind of games do you like? And you choose from a list. I like uh, Control and I like Alan Wake. And they're like, okay, I'm going to make something for you on the fly, right? There's one version of this, which is what you could do today, which is associate games with each other and say, okay, I found this other game. It's just like these games, right? We get that in, in Netflix, This thing is like, okay, I'm going to make something supernatural with guns and here I go. And then AI is doing that. It would be really interesting to to feed in games that were just like entirely different from one another. It's like, you know, I like, I like Pokemon Picross and I like, uh, you know, Doom 64. It's like, where do we go with this? Right. Right. And, and (laughs) in a way, yeah, speaking of putting us out of business, right. (laughs) In a way. That is kind of what we do here a lot. We're like, well, I really, I love this about this game. And I, wouldn't it be interesting if you could do that over here in this context? So smashing games together, a game smasher, essentially. <laughs> and this would be really fun to do. And in a way, it's kind of what we're seeing a little bit with Nintendo. And, you know, Link is now in Mario Maker, mm-hmm. right? And that's going to open up a whole new set of plays and possibilities. And I'm sure Link is going to break a bunch of levels that exist. But it's great that Nintendo's being relatively unafraid and attempting something like that. So I'm wondering if, like, that's the future of games is just like, you know, some publisher has a cohesive catalog. I'm sure, like, you could smash together most of Ubisoft's games and get something that still feels (laughs) like a good Ubisoft game. I mean, I would love to smash up uh, Tony Hawk or Katamari with any number of games. You know, I'd like to play Katamari in the Half-Life 2 universe. Right. I think the thing is, is when we do the, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's also true of this show. This is a good meta episode. Thank you, Matt. Uh, it's also true of this show is that when you smash up two things, you're not necessarily going to get something that's good. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. And so maybe... Maybe we'd have to program into this artificial intelligence that's generating these games, kind of like the director in Left 4 Dead, like a sense of of pacing and fun. Um, like it would almost be testing it behind the scenes to make sure that it's um, reaching adequate. I mean, ideally, it would be really neat if we could uh, hook up players with some sort of biofeedback and it can read, you know, on the fly, the chemical responses that people are having to things that are happening on screen yeah and it can adjust the game it may be even entirely switching genres to uh to better suit uh how they want a person to feel i think that's cool if you i mean we're living in an age right where we do have smart watches and a smart watch at at minimum these days can tell me my heart rate it can probably tell me the temperature of my skin. Maybe you can even tell Mm -hmm. clamminess or something like that. I feel like hand clamminess would be a great indicator of how engaged I am in a video game. Yeah. Um, it can map out stress levels as well. Using the, like, I think the salt in your skin or something like that, you know, there's all these different measures it can take, but anyways, we're out of time. 
Let's uh, let's quote someone down and come up with a name. I think we said Game Smasher at some point, which uh, which has a bit of a fun <laughs> ring to it as well. Yeah, I I, I kind of love it. Game Game Smasher, the ultimate game AI, right? <laughs> yeah, I like that. That would that would be a nice uh, little tag on the the front of the box, like you usually get on old like '90s big box PC releases. I like Game Smasher. You also use the word director, and maybe that's something too, but Game Smasher works well. And it could also be the playwriter. Ooh, okay. That's it. <laughs> We've done it. Goodbye, everybody. This was this has been Playwright. It was 130. Our final episode. Yeah, 131 episodes. You did it. You broke it. <laughs> <laughs> we just reached a game-breaking bug, and we cannot continue. <laughs> all right. All right. I like that. Thank you very much, Matt Taylor, for emailing us directly at playwrightcast at gmail.com. If you would like to submit a pitch, you can also do so by going to playwrightcast.com slash pitch, or you can tweet us at playwrightcast. Special thank you to Protodome for the use of our theme song, Hello World, off the album Blue Noise. And special thank you to all the other wonderful shows on the Kane and Rinse Network. I say thank you, but you you guys, if you haven't checked them out yet, I, I don't know what you're even doing. Go listen to the end of the year stuff. Go listen to, you know, there's so many hours of, literally our recording session. I don't know how you're going to edit it, H. <laughs> I really don't. It's coming together. Slowly. Yep. Yep. We're getting there. <laughs> but surely. All right. Yeah, we, we do have some really fun stuff on the Kane and Rinse Network towards the end of the year. Um, so anyways... Uh, as we're leaving the show today, I'm going to take us out with the miniature pitch. And uh, what I would like to see is a mashup of Pokemon Picross and Doom 64. <laughs> Brought to us by the Game Smasher. <laughs> hey, you know what? I, I, usually we just say goodbye at this point, but mm-hmm. we're not going to get a chance to say anything to anybody until the end of the year. So I hope everybody had a great holiday season. Have a nice, safe, happy new year. And I guess, you know, we'll see you again in 2020. That's right. Join us again for another another fun year of Playwright. Uh, I, I, I think we're still going strong. I think our uh, our idea wells aren't running short just yet. My uh, My notepad is currently empty. Or my one note where I keep all the, the game ideas, but I'll just need to have a quick little sit and think, and then we'll be back up and, and fueled up and ready to go for the new year. So did you see uh, the tweet that I put out? I, I got it from uh, Spotify. Well, I, I blocked you a long time ago. Oh, okay, that's fair. <laughs> at, at minimum, you should mute me. Um, <laughs> Spotify sent us an email hmm. that has our a podcast stats in it. But of course it didn't get all the episodes because we weren't on Spotify all year. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it was like March or something that Spotify happened. So, but as far as Spotify is concerned, we put out 44 episodes this year, which is not true. We know we, we did 52, mm-hmm. but those 44 episodes were 1,800 minutes of content. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, you know, just quick napkin math, that's 30 hours, right? So, you know, we are we've got like as many minutes as like a season of friends going on. It's it's pretty crazy. Wow. I, that, yeah, that's uh that's pretty wild. We do about uh 40 minutes every week. So, yeah, that adds up pretty quickly. I mean, thank you <laughs> thank you to everybody who has listened to us collectively for 30 hours over the last year. Like that's, uh, that's pretty incredible. <laughs> it's wild. I, so I'm, I, I'm putting into spotlight right now, 40 times 130. We'll say that's 
roughly the episodes and roughly the time mm. is 5,240 divided by 60. So there is over 87 hours of playwright to listen to at this point, which is kind of crazy. But uh, wow. uh, here we are again. And uh, thank you, sir for another great year of uh, podcasting together. Uh, well, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Boxing Day, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy New Year. Happy all of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I hope it's all very happy and merry where appropriate. I hope everybody got time to actually play video games at the end of the year. Yeah. Take some time for yourself. All right. All right. Well, we'll catch you in 2020, everyone. Bye. Bye.